Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 8. We continue, of course, our study of the book of Daniel and the life of Daniel. And we're, we've moved in the portion of the book in which we're seeing visions and dreams. Now, we saw some a little earlier in the book, but this part from basically chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, 12, it's, it's visions and, and things that were given to Daniel, and then he gets the interpretation that God gives to him. Well, this morning, we're seeing uh, the vision that Daniel had in the third year of the reign of the king of Babylon. His name was Belshazzar. He had had a dream already, a vision, two years earlier in the first year, and that was where those four animals came up out of the sea, and there were four kingdoms to come, and then we saw a ten-king federation and all that. Well, now we're seeing something a little bit different. As you look in chapter 8, there's two two animals come up, and one represents the Medo-Persians or the Median-Persians, and then the other is the Greco or the Greek Macedonians. And we see that these two nations, that Daniel's living at the time of the Babylonian Empire, but the Medo-Persians come after that, and then the Greco-Macedonians. And as we look at this vision, we're going to see a man called the Little Horn. And when we look at that, we realize that this is a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. We find him from history. I'm going to read, in fact, I'm going to read to you for a little bit from history so I don't fall asleep when we get to the history part. But anyway, the Antiochus Epiphanes IV, he is the foreshadow. The man that's in this passage is the foreshadow of the one we call the Antichrist, the beast that will be at the end times. And so we're going to see it. This vision takes Daniel 200 years in the future from when he lived, maybe even longer. Uh, further into the future, and we'll see how it fits together. Well, you know, when we study in time events, which is what Daniel's so famous for, uh, it gives excitement to questions. The people always want to know, how does all this fit together? I mean, when, when will there be the rapture and, and then the tribulation? And how long is that tribulation and the Antichrist and the second coming of Jesus and the thing called the great white throne judgment and the kingdom? How does all that fit together? Well, you remember the chart that we always look at and we see that this is, of course, Old Testament. Everything was looking forward to the coming Messiah. Here's Jesus dying on the cross, paying for sin, rising again. He walked on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection and then he ascended into heaven. And then on the day of Pentecost, the church began. We put it in parentheses because church was not mentioned in the Old Testament. And so we're now, this is the New Testament, this is the church. The next event that could happen at any second is the rapture in which the church is taken off the face of the earth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about this, some other places as well. But after the rapture, there'll be a time period in the future in which there'll be that ten king federation in which we saw the ten toes in the statue in Daniel chapter 2 and the ten horns in the beast that was in Daniel chapter 7. That's the ten king federation. Out of that ten king federation, one is is going to come to power. We call him the Antichrist. He makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel for seven years. And halfway through that, he puts his idol up in the temple in Jerusalem and claims to be God. And that's called the abomination desolation. We'll see that in Daniel chapter 9. And then following that, at the end of the three and a half years, Jesus Christ comes back. It's called the second coming. This is the first coming to Christ. This is the second coming to Christ. The rapture is not coming to the earth. It's coming in the clouds. So that's the first coming to the earth. Second coming to the earth. He comes back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He sets up a kingdom that rules for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, the first seven verses list seven times, it says, a thousand-year reign of Christ. At the end of that, there'll be what's called the great white throne judgment, and then we go into eternity, which is an eternal kingdom. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. That's Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So that's how it fits. Well, we're seeing things, and the things that we're seeing in chapter 8... Oops, hit the wrong button. Let me go back. Sorry. The things that we're seeing in chapter 8 are back over here, but the foreshadow is right here. So that's why we wanted you to see how that fits together. In Daniel chapter 8, he's taken forward 
200 years in the future and about 150 miles to the east. And he ends up in a place called Shushan, or Shushan. Sometimes it's the same place that Esther was later on. And he gets this vision. And he sees this, these, these two animals, and he sees a, a horn, a person, which becomes a person that does some evil things. So as we look at it this morning, I wanted you to see some things. We're going to see the vision of the two kingdoms to follow Babylon. We're going to see the interpretation of the vision given to Daniel by Gabriel. We're going to see the little horn, which is called Antiochus, the Pippanes the fourth. That's his name. His name was Antiochus. The word Epiphanes is, means the shining one. That's what he called himself. It means like the bright shining one. So he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He was a very evil man. We're going to see what he did to Israel. And then we're going to see the Antichrist and the end times. We'll put all that together. So let me do this for you. Let me break down the passage that we've been seeing in chapter 8. And we saw, this is what last week, we saw the third year of Belshazzar, he has the vision. There's a ram and two horns, a goat with one big horn. Then we see this little horn, and we see the length of the transgression, which was 2,300 days. And then we see Gabriel comes to give information. He appears, Daniel faints, then he gives the information, he gives the details of the vision. We talk about Media, Persia, and Greek, and four kings, and we call the insolent king, that's Antiochus Epiphanes, and then we see Daniel is exhausted. What is so amazing, at the end of the chapter, when Daniel gets through, he, he's sick for a while. He has to lay down for a while, because the vision is so amazing. Well, Let's get a brief review of what we saw last time. In this vision, Daniel was living in Babylon. And in the vision, he was taken basically 150 miles to the east to a city called Shushan. And he's by this canal called the Uli Canal. That's where he is. He realizes he's in this place. Now, it's in a vision, so he actually wasn't taken there. This is what he sees. And if you notice, notice uh, verse 3. I lifted up my eyes, and behold, there was a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. And now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the other one was coming up last, and the ram was budding westward, northward, southward, and all of that. Well, that, that's the ram, and that's the Medo-Persian Empire with the two horns, and that's, what we, that's just a drawing that we found that looks sort of like a ram. And then look at the next thing. Verse 5, while I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And his goat had this big conspicuous horn between his eyes. And he came up to the rim, which had two horns, which he had seen standing in front of the canal and rushed at him in a mighty wrath. Well, the second one is the big horn. The goat is the big, and the big horn is, is the Greco-Macedonian Empire. And that's Alexander the Great. And we had this picture of this, this shaggy goat, as he called it, with a big horn. Well, what happened? There was a battle. And the, the goat defeated the ram, and we won't have to read all that, but it says in 7 and 8 how he defeated the ram, and so we saw that the Greeks defeated the Persians, and we had this drawing of where that's them attacking. And then what happened was something amazing. Look at verse 8. When, then the male goat magnified himself. This is Alexander the Great. But as soon as he was mighty, Alexander the Great, the large horn was broken, he died. And in his place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. And we know what happened from history. When Alexander the Great died, he, he was broken. The four horns, were the, 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 the land that he had conquered was divided among his four generals. We saw this last week. If you can remember, one general was called Seleucus. He got this part. One was called Ptolemy. He got Egypt. One was called uh, Asimkus. He got this part. And one was called Cassandra. And he got that part. That's Greece. That's Thrace. And so... 
these two are famous because right in the middle is Israel. And there's, they're going to fight back and forth, and Israel is involved. And that's actually Daniel chapters 11 and 12. And we're going to see more of that. But coming out of this empire is going to be that man named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And he comes with power. Look at verse 9. Out of one of them came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. Well, he came to power toward the south and to the east and to the beautiful land. There's the beautiful land. That's Israel. And who is this person? His name is Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And, or if you notice on this coin, it's Antiochus IV. He called himself Epiphanes, which means the bright and shining one. That's a coin with what he looked like. Now, he was an evil, evil man. We're going to see what he did. And if you notice, verse 11 says, it, it magnified himself to be equal with the commander of the host. He removed the regular sacrifice from him, and the place of sanctuary was thrown down, and it lasted for 2,300 days. Or, uh, listen, here, here's the deal. Uh, he came into Israel, and he stopped the sacrifices. He came into the temple, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem. And I'm going to give you more details in a minute of what he did. But this says he stopped the sacrifices, and he did. And in verses 11 and 12, it talks about how long. And in verse 14, it says that it was 2,300 evening and mornings. And how long is that? And it was basically three years. And Antiochus actually did what he did from 167 to 164. And we're going to find out that he desecrated the temple. And the temple was desecrated for exactly to the day three years. And so here's this man. He is so evil. And so we, we don't know a whole lot about him. I mean, and Daniel, just you can just picture there. Now, when we study this, and you probably looked over it, you probably studied it. If you remember back in chapter 7, there was a little horn, and we said he was the Antichrist in the future. Well, in Daniel chapter 8, there's a little horn, but we're saying it's a man named Antiochus. How do we know they're not the same one? Well, here's what we know that the Antichrist came out of a ten-king federation out of the revised Roman Empire. That's Daniel chapter 7. This man, this horn, comes from a Greek empire, and he comes out of four horns. So they're two different people, just to help you understand that. This man came to power in 175 B.C., hated the Jews, stopped the sacrifices. He is a foreshadow of the Antichrist, the one that we think of in the future. Now... Daniel saw all this. Now picture yourself, you're Daniel, and you're in this vision, and suddenly you're by this canal, you're in Susan, you're a long way from where you thought you were, and you see this, this ram coming up and this goat coming up, and then they crash together, and then this big horn crashes, and there are four horns, and then there's this little horn coming up, and you see the sacrifices at the temple being stopped, and you see this evil, all this happening, and you don't know what's going on. So what would you do? You'd do just what Daniel did, verse 15. Then I, Daniel, when, when I'd seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. Now, in this vision, he sees over there, and it looks, like a, it looks like a man standing there. And I heard a voice of a man between the banks of Uli, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. Well, who's speaking? First of all, when it says Gabriel, some people say it must be God telling Gabriel to go tell Daniel the answer. We don't know. Some people even say it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. Some people say it's just another angel. It doesn't tell us who it is. But whoever it is gives an order to Gabriel 
to give this man an understanding of the vision. He says, Gabriel, help him to know what the meaning is. Help him to understand it. Now, when you think of Gabriel, you say, Gabriel, where have I heard that name before? Well, you remember, Gabriel is what we call the messenger angel. Michael is the archangel. Lucifer is the bad angel. And Gabriel is the messenger angel. And Gabriel is the angel that came to Mary and gave four or five hundred years from now in the future, Gabriel is going to come to Mary and tell her she's going to have a son. So Gabriel is what we call the messenger angel, and he's going to give Daniel the information. And so here's what he says. I heard this, verse 16, I heard a voice of a man between the banks of the Uli, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on, on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand the vision pertains to the time of the, the end. Now, if you notice that when this angel came to Daniel, Daniel fainted. Daniel fell on his face. We've talked about this over and over, that angels are such powerful beings. We can't even comprehend their power. It says in the Old Testament that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. So these angels are very powerful. And every time you see an angel coming into the presence of people, they're afraid. When the angels came that night to tell the shepherds that Jesus was born, they were afraid. When an angel came before Zacharias to tell him he was going to have a son named John the Baptist, he was afraid. When the angel came to Mary, she was afraid. Every time you see in the Scripture angels coming to people, there's fear. And what does it say? He came near where I was standing, and when he came, I was frightened. And I fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand the vision pertains to the time of the end. He says, don't be afraid. This is, this is, this is a, a, a message for the end. And look what he says. While he was talking to me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. You can just see him going down. And he goes, oh, I, can't, I don't have any power. But he touched me and made me stand upright. Literally, Hebrew-wise, he says, he gave me strength. He strengthened me to stand. Gave me strength. So Daniel couldn't even stand up, and this being touched him, and Daniel was able to stand up. He empowered Daniel. And he says, I want you to know what's going to occur. Verse 19, he says, he said, Behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to appointed time of the end. Now, sometimes when you look at prophecies, they have what we call a dual fulfillment, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment is the final period of the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian and the Greeks. But there's a far fulfillment, which will be the completion of the end times. Let me show you what I mean. That We're going to talk about the man comes to power we call the Antichrist. The near fulfillment is the Persians and the Greeks and a man named Antiochus. But the far fulfillment is going to be the revised Roman Empire and the one called the Antichrist. So what we actually have here is a story about a man named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. But he is a foreshadow of the one we call the Antichrist. And we'll see how that fits together. Look at verse 20. The ram which you saw with the two horns, represents the kings of Media and Persia. There they are. That's, the, that's, that's that empire. Then he goes on and says, The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. 
Well, that's the kingdom of Greece, the large horn. That's, that's them coming across, going across. And he says, the large horn was the king who was Alexander the Great. You've ever wondered what Alexander the Great looked like? Well, you know, we don't have any pictures, right? But there's a mosaic of, there's Alexander on a horse. That's what we found. Then there is, that's Alexander on a coin. And then here's a bust of Alexander. That's, that's what, his nose is kind of tore off, so we don't know what, what all he looked like. But that's what he was. Now, Alexander the Great was one of the most amazing uh, human beings. Uh, he was, we don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, there's a lot of people who've written about him and studied, and studied him. Uh, by the time he was 32 years old, he had, his father was called Philip of Macedon. We get Philip, Philippi was a city named after his father. The Macedonian part of the world was named after his father. After his father died, Alexander became the king. He expanded that kingdom. He conquered the known world. By the time he was 32, he had conquered everything. Some say he got malaria and, and drank himself to death. He died at age 32. When he died, his, he, didn't have any answer, he didn't have any children. And so his empire was divided between the four generals. But Alexander the Great was an amazing man because he was, he, he, was, he was brilliant. He was so smart. He, of course, he was Greek, and he took that language, the Greek language, and that's why I think God allowed the New Testament to be written in Greek because Greek is very specific language. You've heard me say things like, well, this Greek word means this because it's more specific than our English word. If I just said, if, if, if you'd say, if what? If it doesn't rain? But in Greek, there are four different kinds of ifs, and they all have a different meaning. And there are four different past tenses in the Greek language. So Alexander was so brilliant. He said, I want everybody, when I give an order, I want everybody to know exactly what I mean. Well, when he died, if you notice verse 22, the broken horn, it says, verse 21 again, the shedded goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn is the eye, is the, between his eyes is the first king, that's Alexander. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in his place represents the four kingdoms which arise from his nation, although not with his power. They never had the same power of Alexander the Great. It was divided into four different kingdoms. We've already seen that and how it was divided. Now watch, here's the key. In the latter period of their rule, we're talking about the rule of the Greco-Macedonians, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. Well, that king is Antiochus IV. Now, by the way, you may say, well, this is just history. Yeah, but just remember this. This was given to Daniel long before it happened. Daniel knew that there was going to be a Medo-Persian Empire before there was a Medo-Persian Empire. He called them that. Daniel knew there was going to be the Greeks and the Macedonians long before anybody ever heard of the Greeks and Macedonians. Daniel knew there would be an insolent king, which we call Antiochus IV, long before it ever happened. Daniel knew there was going to be a Roman Empire. Daniel knew there was going to be a ten-king federation because God revealed it to him, and it's revealed to us. We look at this and we say, wow! That happened, that happened just like the Bible said it was going to happen. That's true. Guess what? The things that are future that hadn't happened yet, guess what? They're going to happen just like God said they're going to happen. Because everything he said in the past happened just like he said it. Everything he says for the future will happen just like he says it. You've got to trust the Word of God. It is that way. Look what it says about this man, 24. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will destroy an ex to an extraordinary degree. He will perform and prefer, uh, he will prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people, holy people of the Jews. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit 
to succeed by his influence. He will magnify himself in his heart. He will destroy many while they're at ease. He will oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. I need to tell you a little bit about this man. And then I'm going to actually read to you from history. This man came to power in 175 B.C. from that empire called the Seleucid Empire. He actually killed his brother to take the power. He's a foreshadow of the Antichrist. In 168 B.C., after defeating, he's defeated everybody, he came and defeated the Egyptians. Then he went back to his home. He came back down to fight the Egyptians again. And by this time, the Roman Empire was coming up. And the Roman Empire sent word to Antiochus, leave the Egyptians alone and he was afraid and he turned around to go back home word had reached the jews that antiochus had been defeated they thought he was killed they had a celebration and when they had a celebration antiochus found out that they celebrated his death but he wasn't dead so he came into jerusalem and it says that he in the tradition say that he had people killed he stopped in Jerusalem he took a pig and offered it on the altar in Jerusalem and then he replaced the altar with another altar he put a statue of Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem he killed 80,000 people in a very short period of time he stopped the sacrifices he took all the women and their little boys and if they were circumcised he took them, he strangled the women, killed their little boys, hung them around their necks, and put them up on crosses. This is the kind of man he was. He demanded that there should be no copies of Scripture. And he tried to burn and destroy everything he could. He magnified and said that he was Antiochus Epiphanes, the shining one. He was actually saying he was like God. It says that he will, uh, he will cause deceit to exceed. So he went into the Jews and told them he wanted to bring peace. And as soon as they said, okay, that's when he started killing them. It says that he will die not by human agency. He got a disease from worms and died. Now, what happened? What happened to the Jewish people? In 167 B.C., he came into the temple and he stopped all the sacrifices and he threw the people out and he put the idol of Zeus up and he sacrificed a pig and for three years the Jewish people could not go into their temple and there was a man by the name of Matthias and he had five sons and one of his sons was named Judas Judas Maccabeus and this man was Matthias and he was a priest and he and his five sons said, we are tired of this man stopping us from worshiping our God, and we're not going to take it anymore. And so they got into groups of 5, 10, 15, and they began to secretly attack the soldiers of Antiochus Epiphanes. And they began to win. And over a two-and-a-half-year time period, they ran Antiochus' soldiers out of Jerusalem. And when they came into the city, they were cheering and everything great and they said what about the temple and they went to the temple and they took that statue of Zeus and they threw it out and they took the altar that had been contaminated and threw it out and built another altar and then they went over to the lampstand that hadn't burned in three years and the lampstand was never supposed to stop being burned and it hadn't burned in three years and they said we got to light the lampstand and they realized they had oil only enough for one day and it would take a couple of weeks 
to make the new oil because it was a process that God gave and the only way you could make it was what God said do. And so they lit the lampstand and they figured it would go out in one day and it burned for eight days, never stopping. And they called it the Festival of Lights, which we call it Hanukkah. If you've ever heard of Hanukkah, most people think Hanukkah has something to do with, they, they say, that's the Jewish Christmas. has nothing to do with Christmas. It has to do with the Jewish people running Antiochus Epiphanes out of Jerusalem, cleansing the temple, burning the candle, and it burned eight days. It was only supposed to burn one day. It burned eight days, and they called it the Festival of Lights. I want to read to you from a Jewish historian. His name is Josephus. You may have read some of his writings in the past. He's sort of famous. I'm not going to read all of this. I just got a few things marked. Here's what he says about Antiochus. He says, King Antiochus came out of Egypt for fear of the Romans. Remember, the Romans told him to get out of Egypt. And he made an expedition against Jerusalem. And when he got possession of Jerusalem, he killed many of the Jewish people. Goes on to say, he had an altar put upon God's altar. He slew a pig upon that altar. And he caused the Jewish people not to be able to worship in their own country. He said that he would be, he says, he took himself to be God. Then it goes on to say, here's what he did to the people. They were whipped with rods. Their bodies were torn to pieces. They were crucified while they were alive. They were strangled. The women who had their sons that circumcised, the king had appointed. They hung their sons around their necks and they were put on crosses. And if any sacred books of the law were found, they were destroyed. Then it says... Therefore, when the generals of Antiochus' armies had been beaten so often by Judas Maccabeus, the people ran them out, they ran them out of Jerusalem, and they came and they said, we ought to purify the temple. And they did, and they purged it, and it goes on and talks about how they did it. And then they lit the candle, and they put the loaves of bread, and the desolation ended, and it says, exactly three years after it began. Now, let me tell you something. The Jewish calendar is different from ours, but the Feast of, Han of Hanukkah begins on the 25th day of the month of Kislev. Kislev corresponds to our November-December. This coming year, Hanukkah begins on December the 2nd. Sometimes Hanukkah has been almost at the same time of Christmas. That's why a lot of people think Hanukkah has to do with Christmas. has nothing to do with Christmas. has to do with this. It says, Judas celebrated the festival of the restoration of the temple, and, and, and it burned for eight days. And so they called it from that time, we will celebrate this festival calling the Feast of Lights, or as we know it, it's Hanukkah. So the next time you hear somebody say Hanukkah, you think of Daniel 8, you think of Judas Maccabeus, and how they ran that evil man out and retook the temple. It's great. Then look what it says. Verse 26. The vision of the Edens of morning has been told is true, but keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. And so he told Daniel, Daniel, you won't be able to tell people this. And we might say, I wonder why, I wonder why. Well, we, here's what we know. At the end of the book of Daniel, he says, seal up the information. And then at the end of the book of Revelation, it says, let it be known. I think that some of the things in the book of Daniel were not able to be understood until John, a number of years later, 700 years later, wrote 
the gospel of, of wrote the book of Revelation, and they go together. That's why when you study Daniel, you look at Revelation. When you study Revelation, you study Daniel. Now, I want to I show you one final thing, that this man in this passage is a foreshadow of the Antichrist. I want you to notice, this is Antiochus, this is the Antichrist. Into the kingdom of the Greeks, into the kingdom of the Romans. He was wicked, wicked, great power, great power. Went after the Jews, went after the Jews. He promised peace and security, the Antichrist promises a peace back. He called himself the shiny one in Second Thessalonians. The Antichrist calls himself God. And Antiochus put a pig on the idol, uh, uh, idol a pig uh, sacrificed an idol on the, on the altar. He put an idol in the temple, or he will put an idol in the temple. He opposes God. He opposed God, Second Thessalonians. He died without human hands by sickness. He will die by the word of God. So this man is a foreshadow of the, Messiah, of the Antichrist. And, and uh, we'll show you something in the tribulation. This is the church age, after gone, the tribulation is seven years. Halfway through, he comes in and puts his idol up in the temple. It's called the abomination of desolation. And the last part of the tribulation is that three and a half years. This is the Antichrist who does the same thing that, that Antiochus did. Jesus Christ, of course, comes back. It's all over. We go into the, the thousand-year reign of Christ and then on into the future. So there's some great things, and I just wanted you to see that. Um, and this is, this is what we're talking about. This is the Antichrist there and coming to Jesus. Antiochus back over here. Just want to just put that together. We don't understand how this all fits until we get to Daniel chapter 9. And we'll see even more details then. So let me give you some applications. First of all, let's just realize that God's working in the events of the world. It doesn't matter what it is. He raises them, sets down kingdoms. We've seen it all the way through the book of Daniel, whether it's in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9. God is raising up kings, setting down kings. We have to trust him. He's the one in charge. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Second, God deals with evil all the way through history. He deals with evil and sin. Whether it's evil people like Antiochus or Hitler or one day the Antichrist, he deals with it because he's the, first of all, he's a satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He deals with it that way. But he also deals with evil people. And we see it with Antiochus and, uh, and we're going to see it with the Antichrist. Or we hope, I don't know if we'll see it or not. We'll, we'll be coming back with Jesus, so I imagine we will see it. Let me just say this. Revelation 19, Jesus Christ comes back on a white horse and he comes to judge and it says we're coming with him. So we're going to see him deal with the Antichrist. So we ought to be clapping and cheering again. Okay, then understand these end time events. I hope you do. It takes a while. You might say, it seems so complicated. Well, it sort of is, but when you begin to put it together, it's really not that bad. And when you think about it, if you just got, there's the Old Testament looking forward to the Messiah. After Jesus died, we're in the church age. The next event's the rapture. Following the rapture will be the seven-year tribulation, Antichrist in the middle. At the end of that, Jesus comes back as the King of kings, Lord of lords. Thousand-year reign on the earth. Then what's called the great white throne judgment. And then to eternity. And what eternity is, is a new heavens, a new earth. It's called the eternal kingdom. As the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. And that's Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And you can read that and see what it looks like and people sit, go confused and they'll say I want to go to heaven well ultimately uh, the eternal state is not in heaven it's on a new heavens and a new earth in a city called New Jerusalem great things may we rest in our God who's working all things according to the counsel of his will past, present and future may we know that he deals with evil and one day we're going to be with him